When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Grillin' JR with the voice of wrestling, Mr. Jim Ross. And Jim, we're tickled already this morning. How are you, man? I'm good, buddy. I'm really good. Beautiful day here in Norman, Oklahoma. And, uh, life is good. Staying busy doing a little AEW work, which I'm happy to kind of get back in the saddle, do my thing. As they say, my thing. Uh, so it's good, man. It's a, I had a very unique experience this morning, Conrad. <laughs> I, I have, you know, I, I'm a big Metamucil guy. Yes, sir. You've I drank, I drank at least two, uh, propel zeros with Metamucil in it a day. Cause it's good for your cholesterol. It's good. It's great fiber. Keeps you clean. You know, all that good stuff to keep your system moving around. And so, uh, I kind of doubled up yesterday. So when I got up this morning, man, I felt something percolating. So I go to the bathroom and I, I felt like I was giving birth to twin calves, not, not legs, animals. So I do my business and I clean all this good stuff, normal stuff. I flush and the two logs converged <laughs> at the exit. Oh no. Yep. Yep. And it uh, was not a pretty sight for a moment. Uh, and I got up my plunger, uh, here at the house. Sometimes I have a different, different description for a plunger, but nonetheless, that's another story. None. Anyway, I had to get the plunger out to get the saw logs on, on gone, gone. You guys go, 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 go. So, uh, that's when we started to do this call. I was just a little bit late because I hadn't planned on uh, the double knockout. And they both wanted to get over. Two giant turds wanting to get over. Oh my God. <laughs> and they, so uh, they had a little issue, and I had, to, I had to break the tie, and off they went. So that's a real exciting. See, here's what happens when, you get, when you're isolated, you're quarantined, for God's sakes. Uh, and you're 68 moments like this are, are, are seminal. They are important because it means my system is still working at my, uh, at my advanced age. So there's my, uh, my little story for this morning. Uh, I would suggest Metamucil to anybody. You can't get too much fiber in your system. Have little packets you can take. I take them on the road all the time. When you get a bottle of water on a plane or get a bottle of water before I get on the airplane, there goes my Metamucil and, uh, I feel good about it. So, so anyway, that's how I started my day, buddy. How'd you start your day? Uh, a little better than yours, man. I, I hate to have a follow-up question to a story like that, but what do you normally call a plunger? Well, I got my own personal plunger. 
it's not, it's not being used a lot lately. Oh, I got you. Lord, <laughs> I'm learning more about you every day. I gotta tell you. Well, good. That's why we're, that's why we have a great relationship and we have good shows because we have chemistry and, and we both give a shit about the other guy. Dude, the saw log thing. I've never heard that before in my life, uh, in regards to that. And, uh, might be be a t-shirt, Connie. uh, We will be using that. You know, (laughs) what's fun is, as you started down this story, there was a famous, I think it was an extra on a DVD. You told the Brian Pillman story. Yeah. And I feel like, uh, you may have some of the most prolific poop stories in wrestling. This side of Sean Waltman. (laughs) Yeah, it was, uh, that was quite the moment, especially when Pillman made, uh, had a, had a guy stand guard. So nobody would go into the, uh, toilet and flush until he got uh, visual evidence to as many people as he could, that he just set a world's record. It, it, it looked like a, one of those uh, things on wild kingdom. It looked like a giant Cobra or something. It was horrible, but, uh, yeah, he, he ran and got me like he just had his head, like he just had Brian jr. Come look at my son. I just gave birth. <laughs> so it, but he was a character too. But anyway. Uh, that's where we are. Well, I, I enjoy these talks. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we do too. And man, we're going to have fun today. We're talking about, I got to tell you too. uh, I have to admit sometimes I I schedule these shows just based around, Hey, whatever the anniversary was knowing that whether the show was good or not, there'll be a lot of other sort of news and notes behind the scenes. And we get off on those little sidebars and tangents, and it leads to a pretty great show. Even if the show itself wasn't all that memorable, and that's mm-hmm. sort of what I expected going into judgment day 2000 and, and we won't spoil the ending, but this pay-per-view to me has one of the most famous endings in WWE history. And I was, I kind of forgot that it was coming. And when it happened, I was really excited because I was taken back to the moment and remembered what a special story this is. Of course, we're talking about judgment day, 2000. It went down on May 21st freedom hall in Louisville. So today is the 20 year anniversary. We've got 16,827 paying fans. It does 400,000 buys on pay-per-view for a 1.05 buy rate. Even though this isn't exactly a record for the company in any other era, this would have been super, super strong. Would it not? Yeah. 400,000 buys is a lot of money. And, uh, that was very good. Very, very productive. The other thing that was impressive to me in a city that's had such rich, uh, wrestling history as Louisville did as a part of the Memphis territory forever and the home of God damn it. It's my home. I'm Jim Cornette and I don't give a shit. Uh, speaking of shit, I just gave a shit. No, okay. We already told that story. Huh? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I thought that 16,000 plus, uh, almost 17,000 was pretty damn impressive for a market that size. You know, the, the brand was hot. The, the, we had some stars getting over. We had some fresh stuff. As I always say, wrestling fans like new things. So we were having, we're having guys that even though they might've been not, might not have been new, they were new in their top seated roles, shall we say? So I, I like this show, uh, a great deal. And, and again, it's one of those great things that, that I love about what we do is that it motivates me to go back and listen and watch, uh, these shows for the first time since we did them live. And that's always a kind of a cool trip because again, I mentioned you know, the little things, you know, what did, what tie was I wear? What did Jan pick out for me to wear on that night? Things like that are personal, but they bring back great memories 
And then, you know, I just, I think that's the first time I ever had it. You ever have a Kentucky, uh, what do you call it? A brown round or there's a, there's a dish they have there. It's kind of a local thing, Kentucky brown round or something like that. But that was a, a, a hot <laughs> brown. I think is what you're talking about. What is it? A hot brown might be. It's something brown. It's like we're on the we're on the brown today, ain't we? Uh, it's uh, like the, it's like turkey breast and white cheddar and things like that. Gravy, I think it has gravy on it too. It was really a, a heart attack waiting to happen. You know, I I, I had that. I chased it with the Lipitor, <laughs> so it was it was great. So, and we stayed at an old hotel, older hotel. I can't even remember the name of it. Right across the street from the fairgrounds where the uh, uh, arena is, which is kind of classic. And it's the home of the Kentucky Derby, at least most years. You know what pissed me off? I read this week. It really it just kind of broke my heart. What's that? Because you think of all the people that affected, and at their age, and, and what well, different ages? The Daggum uh, Little League World Series is canceled. Yeah. Damn that. You know, people will laugh at me all the time for that when I tweet about I'm watching the Little League World Series. You know, it must be a slow day in Oklahoma. I love that event. I truly love that event. Uh, the announcers take it seriously. They give background. There's pictures of mom and dad or shots of mom and dad in the crowd. These look, the kids are no longer older than 12, at least legally. So I, I, I look at it as a tremendous event for all the right reasons. And, uh, unfortunately this year, because of the virus, it's another, another one that has going to bite the dust. And, uh, it's more, it's more important to me to watch that. And it would be the Kentucky Derby as we're talking about Louisville. I'm not the horse race guy I, I used to be, but I, I, uh, I, I really was disappointed to hear that because it's breaking the hearts of a lot of kids around the world, Yeah, around the world. And they're 12 folks. They're 12 years old. This is a moment that they will live and think about forever in their lives. And now this group of little leaguers are going to think, yeah, we were in the hunt. We had a good team with the damn virus kill the event. So I just want to throw that in there. I, I'm a big supporter of the little league world series. But in any, any event, Louisville was, a, was cool. The, the size of the crowd and the way that the, this, the house was dressed was really cool, which also speaks to what we're all, a lot of us are going through now with the empty arena scenarios. That is just what it is. Right. And for, you know, I, I'm getting tired of answering the question, how, or, how do you do an empty arena match? Well, you watch the monitor and you call what you see. They're still making music down there in that ring. So get, get your ass up and give them some lyrics that make some sense and help them get them over. So anyway, Louisville was an interesting market and I know they had so wrestling there for so many years. I think that was the market at the Louisville gardens where I took my first stunner, uh, right. You know, a few years, a year or two before that, something a year before that, maybe, maybe after I'm not sure Austin, but Louisville was the place where I got stunned. And then, uh, I was off the rest of the night which was what it was. But anyway, it was the ugliest. I took an uglier stunner than Vince did. did. Oh, no, you didn't. Vince oh, is the worst stunner <laughs> of all time. Baby. And, and, uh, we got rock in the main event of this show. So he took the best stunner, I think. Well, he had an interesting way of doing it. Let's talk about the main event. I guess first we should say we're coming off the backlash pay-per-view, which we recently covered. We saw the rock win a world title from triple H here. And Stone Cold comes back at the end. And a lot of people thought, man, what an ending that would have been to WrestleMania. We didn't get it at WrestleMania. We got it at backlash, but now it's time for a rematch between the rock and triple H. And this time it's a 60 minute iron man match. It's the first time we've seen the world title defending on pay-per-view in an iron man match since 1996. 
Of course, we're talking about Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart, where Shawn became world champ for the first time back in 1996. Speaking of Sean, he's the special guest referee for this Iron Man stipulation match. Talk to us about the decision to have a rematch between rock and triple H. I guess that makes sense, especially given how hot it was at payback. But what did you think about the Iron Man stipulation? Uh, I've sort of talked about this a lot on social. I think it may be one of my least favorite gimmicks. Where did you land on an Iron Man match? Well, because they were not overused. Uh, they always seem somewhat fresh to me. We're talking about 1996. The first one you mentioned Sean and Brett there in Los Angeles went overtime. Sean wins it one to nothing in a pitcher's duel, uh, so to speak. Uh, but we only, then we did the next one two years later. And that was a, that to me, that gave it its reprieve. If you didn't like the 60 minute Ironman match, it wasn't like you're going to see one every week, every month or every year. So I didn't have an issue with it because I liked to chat, to see the talent challenged. How, what kind of story are you going to tell? It's different than going out and doing a TV match on raw or uh, at that time and doing, you know, 10, 15 minutes. Uh, so to me, I, w- I was curious as to how these guys are going to, to execute their match. And, uh, so I didn't have the issue that, with it that you did, but we've had some good Ironman matches I've called, uh, that I've got a chance to call over the years. I even think Cena had one with Sean. Yeah. Listen, there's been some great ones. I'm not arguing that there hasn't been great performances for me though. If it's an Ironman match in wrestling, well, it sort of takes me out of it a little bit. And here's why I've sort of view wrestling like any other combat sport, whether it's MMA or uh, maybe it's boxing roller derby with those sports. It could end at any moment. And yeah. you're on the edge of your seat knowing, Hey, this could be it. Oh, is he going to knock him out? Oh, is he going to submit? Oh, can he cover him and kick out? What are we looking at from just a minute by minute edge of your seat reaction? Whereas the Iron Man match now, it feels more like an NBA game. Like, Hey, they can hoot and holler and do whatever they want. I've just got to watch the last five minutes and I'll know the score. I got, that's all those reasons have validity. No doubt about it. And plus it's your opinion, right? And unlike a lot of us in the wrestling business, because you and I have dissenting opinions, doesn't mean either of us are truly wrong. Right. It's just that we're expressing ourselves and how we feel about that stipulation. Uh, again, it is a supreme test for everybody involved, including the announcers, uh, Jerry Lawler and I call that show. And, you know, we know that there's going to be a, we got, we got to have our storytelling pants on because they can't go to breakneck speed. Uh, and like you said, some of the false finishes have been neutered a little bit because it's a 60 minute match. You're going to keep score on the, on the decisions rendered. So I, I didn't have any, uh, I didn't have any problem with it, but I, I, I knew that Lawler and I were in for a, uh, challenge to keep, to make sure we told a great story narr- you know, narrative as that 60 minute match went along. So, uh, but it was, uh, it was an interesting adventure. It, look, even for the announcers, it was different. It was yeah. something new. Yeah. It was two new, two new participants, two great stars, two guys are just continued to, uh, move up the ladder with their perception and their game and the whole nine yards. So, uh, I, I, I kind of, I kind of was kind of fired up for that show. And then when you're working in front of almost 17,000 people, hell man, if you can't get into that, I, I don't know, maybe you need to do something else, you know, maybe checkers dominoes. I wish there was a world domino league. I might, I might quit wrestling and just go on the circuit. 
Because I love to play dominoes. Just yeah. throw that in there. We got to do that sometime. I would love to beat you at dominoes. Well, well you, you, you sure have a, a vivid imagination. <laughs> Let's talk about some news and notes heading into the pay-per-view. Meltzer would write, the bill in New York written by State Senator Tom Lubus of, uh, or Tom Libus of Binghamton, which would require state mandated drug testing of all pro wrestlers that work in New York. If it passes would without question, wind up in some form or fashion, completely changing the pro wrestling industry. As we know it, whether that's good or bad depends on your point of view. There are a few things clear about pro wrestling. Even if some promoters can argue that they can regulate their own companies. The fact is this business is largely a total failure at regulating itself. Between the drugs, which have led to a death rate, which would cause a media outcry if it was in a real sport or entertainment form of anywhere near the same level of popularity, much of which is practically institutionalized as part of the major league system, the false advertising and presenting adult situations as entertainment while selling tickets and marketing to children, pro wrestling has come under fire. So the gist is, um, maybe Dave is worried that politics are about to change wrestling forever. We know that that doesn't wind up actually happening. Were you guys inside the Titan tower fairly nervous or anxious to see how this would shake out? Or did you not think this was near the major story that perhaps Meltzer did at the time? I thought it was a good thing that, uh, we have drug testing. I, I really do, but especially in that era, uh, it wasn't just, uh, it wasn't people said with drugs, what are they doing? A heroin? No, it was a deal. Here's the thing. Here's the issue about that. You had a lot of dirty doctors in that era. And uh, some of those guys have name identity. You know who they are. Uh, Zahorian, you know, the, the dude in where was he in Detroit or Chicago? Uh, anyway, I just, the, 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 the doctors were prescribing, uh, pain meds, anti-anxiety meds and knowing the wrestlers as we both do. Instead of taking them by, you know, uh, one, two, every six hours, it might be six, every two hours. Oh, I, I was, I turned, I, I messed that up. Yeah, you did. So I think it was a good idea. And of course, rich Herring was, uh, uh, involved in that, in that, in that situation. He ended up, ended up going to work for, for, uh, McMahon. And he was very instrumental in all these athletic, the, the liaison, so to speak, between WWE and, uh, the state athletic commissions. He had a lot of experience working with the New York state athletic commission. He was one of the guys that, that, uh, uh, pushed and was successful in getting the, uh, uh, oh heck the, uh, the, the license, not the license, but being governed by the state athletic commission for a, you know, it's like somebody said, well, you, they don't do that for Broadway. And it was kind of, that was the analogy that was used often. And, and the politicians bought it even though it costs a lot of money, but it did make common sense. So, uh, I, I thought it was a good idea. Quite frankly, I, the, sometimes it's different eras. I don't know to, to, that today's era is, uh, as, as bad or even remotely as bad as it was then, uh, because of the fact that talents discovered it was more than just rolling a joint and smoking it on the way to the hotel after the show's over. It was, you know, it was, it was, it wasn't that it wasn't. Well, let's shoot up some heroin before we get to the holiday Inn. That didn't happen either. It was doctors prescribing a lot of meds because they were, they were star boys, fanboys, And uh, the talents then perceived that I've got a script 
Yeah, well, you're abusing the son of a bitch. Right. So what we did was, so if, so if a guy had a, pers- a pers- pers- uh, prescription for, let's say, a pain reliever like uh, Vicodin, then instead of following the orders and the, and the script, guys would over-medicate, which I can attest that I've done that before, and, uh, and, and have, a, and have a, 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 a excuse. Hey, I've got a script. Yeah, but not for four every two hours. So our policy was, even if you had like Percocets, Vicodin, whatever it was, if you had too much in your system, script or not, uh, you, you're violated. So I think it was a good checks and balance. And I think this generation, especially the ones that are, are, have been lifelong fans, I think that they have learned a valuable lesson of what not to do yeah. because of all these famous guys that many wrestlers today grew up watching that left us way too soon. Way too soon. And Meltzer's right. If people had given it more of a shit about wrestling at that time, uh, as perception wise, that would have been a huge scandal, all these deaths and all this stuff. And it was touched on here, there, and yon, but bottom line, I think drug testing is a good thing. Uh, you don't want guys impaired. You want to take care of their health because they're your greatest asset. The players are the greatest asset, in the NFL and NBA and, and, and MLB everything. So it's all about the players. And to take, make sure your players are healthy and you and you get some checks and balance there. So they don't go into business for themselves. I thought was a good thing. On the way to this show, there was a May 6th pay-per-view in the UK. It's uh, insurrection or 17,000 fans. there paying 684 grand in us. Uh, it goes down in London. The, the show is, is a fun show, I guess, but typically we don't see much sort of earth shattering stuff happened on these UK pay-per-views. Um, not a lot of surprises, sort of, uh, entertainment for the sake of entertainment, but we don't necessarily advance storylines most of the time or anything like that because fans in the U S aren't going to see it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was a UK only thing. Uh, that show that was in may of 98 and in December of 97, no, not, no. What was it? We're, we're talking about 2000 right now. Oh, I know, but I'm just saying the first time they did it. Maybe now 98, here's my point in 2000, uh, that, that UK show we're talking about, uh, the, the one that's more memorable to me is the one that we had in 1998 in December of 98, because that was a show that I had my second bout of Bell's palsy while on the air, Wow. uh, massive migraine, like headaches. My vision was impaired. My, my jaw dropped. I had to hold my cheek up to talk, uh, to get through the damn thing. And also, uh, in regard to that, I, and I think it was a catalyst of the Bell's palsy attack was I got a call, uh, that, that weekend from Jan that my mother had died suddenly she's 64 years old. So, uh, that was a very memorable, those UK trips had many memories. But for me, they're not the kindest memories because of the Bell's palsy and my mother passing away. And that the 98, that was the last match I called until WrestleMania the next, you know, coming up in a few months. So I was off for a long time because of the damn facial paralysis. So that's my memories of the UK. But I always thought that here's the great thing about the UK pay-per-views. One of the great things, uh, the trip is not uh, laborious. It's not that harder trip, to be yeah. honest with you. Right. Especially if you're flying out of New York or Northeast, uh, which most people did to congregate, get on the team flight type deal. Uh, 
group flight, whatever. Uh, but the crowd was always amazing there. They were getting to see something special. They were getting to see uh, this American uh, uh, export in their country. So I think the fans appreciated in the UK the fact that there was a UK pay-per-view. Uh, I think there should be more of them by everybody that's got a UK brand established in that country, in that region. So, uh, but the crowd was made, the trip was, you know, what it was not bad, but it was a trip, uh, hotels, what it was food was, eh. uh, but, uh, it, I, I always thought the crowd made a difference in the trip, made the, the crowd in the United kingdom made the trip fun. And that's always an important situation, especially in light of what we're doing today. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. Let's uh, briefly run down some news and notes from that show. The big one is that, uh, Davy boy Smith is back as an unannounced surprise and he wins the hardcore title, uh, after a power slam in three minutes and 37 seconds. And Meltzer would say Smith got a very disappointing reaction. Most reports were shocked that his reaction was no different than any other undercard wrestler, despite them building the anticipation with crash, making the challenge. The feeling is they killed him as a megastar in England with the heel turn being done in England. I got to tell you, this has always been sort of, uh, understood that, Hey, if you're running the UK, if you're running a big show in London, well, Davy boy's your man. And when that seems like that changes here, that's probably not good for his long-term future in professional wrestling. I compare it to stone cold turning heel in Texas in his home market in Houston, uh, that same deal. It wasn't what the crowd wanted to see, but unfortunately, as many, as many times we've seen, uh, it wasn't about what the crowd wanted. It was about what the promotion wanted to give the crowd. So you're going to like this goddamn it. Cause that's what we're giving you. Uh, I'm with you, Conrad. There's the, the Davy boy was a real, uh, and I think he was, he, he kept, he, Davy boy was there. He was a hell of a hand. No doubt about that. But his markability in that region of the world was extraordinary. Right. So then you make him a villain for what reason? And Davey was not a great villain. He was a phenomenal baby face, uh, but he was not a great villain, especially in the UK. So I'm with you on that deal. It, it was, it's supposed, it was, it, it, you'd think it, that the return of Davey boy and the, was, would have been a huge, but we gave them a different Davey boy than they wanted to see. Let's uh, mention the main event and then we'll move on from this. What an interesting main event it is. It's rock wrestling triple H and Shane McMahon, which is just unbelievable that that was actually a pay-per-view main event. Um, of course, Briscoe's involved and Vince is involved and it's sort of fun. Uh, but you know what happens rock retains three-star match. I know you, uh, enjoyed these UK pay-per-views. Is there uh, any interesting stories that you remember about this one in particular? You know, we've heard about some of the plane rides from hell and some of the, uh, craziness that's happened. This is a couple of years before that. Anything like that stand out here? Nothing uh, that, uh, ridiculous. 
Right. It, it was it was pretty much business as usual. Uh, you know, WWE from a in, uh, infrastructure scenario was very uh, consistent. So all we did was just move our operation to London, gorilla position intact, catering, locker rooms, pre-tapes, everything was just a mirror image as best you could based on the facility uh, and your available talents that were there. It was a, it was a, it was kind of mundane, especially when you compare it to uh, as far as the inner, the action, the, uh, the extemporaneous things, but, uh, it was not nearly like the plane ride from hell. I think the guys got, you know, we talked, we've done the plane ride from hell on the show, which I'd encourage folks to go back and listen to. It's, it's a pretty damn good show. Uh, you know, Conrad and I, we both thought it was a good show because it was a different perspective than a lot of fans had heard because I was on that trip and, and, uh, on, you know, in a, in an administrative position and it was an, it was a, it was a cluster, but this one here was kind of mundane in that regard. Uh, uh, nothing really sticks out at me, you know, that was going to be, you know, it was, gonna, it was that much different. You know, I just, it, we tried to make it normal. It customary so the talents weren't getting into an area that they weren't comfortable with. And we changed the format and we changed the procedures and stuff like that. It was just a nice solid show as far as that kind of stuff is concerned. So, uh, but again, the crowd, the crowd's a different difference maker because the crowd was, was, uh, motivational, shall we say at, in the very least. Playing ride from hell is available now at adfreeshows.com. Let's talk about some behind the scenes here with regards to television. Meltzer's reporting that media week and industry trade has a story in early May about the prospects of the USA network. If they do indeed lose the WWF contract to Viacom and the gist is, Hey, it's not going to affect USA at all. Uh, because most advertising agencies that have cable buys subtract the wrestling ratings from the network average to begin with. So while the WWF leaving USA would mean that they were losing their highest rated program, advertising won't be affected. And it's also noted that the WWF owns 80% of the ad inventory on their programs to begin with. So USA is actually selling very little advertising itself on those shows. And secondly, it's noted that USA's advertisers don't target the young male demographic, which is mostly what WWF advertising aims for. Mm-hmm. This sort of stood out to me. I had never heard that you guys had 80% of the ad inventory. What does that look like from an, from an internal, you know, just personnel standpoint, Vince had guys beat in the street to sell ads inside of raw. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, good sales team. Um, uh, and, uh, they, they did a nice job cultivating ads, but the, the template was going to change. Obviously when we went to Viacom, different deal different monies, all this stuff. But I, I believe that it was going to be hard for USA to maintain their rating as the number one cable network, uh, without, uh, raw because raw over delivered based on the, on the network average. So, uh, I understand that Dave's reasoning about the ad rates, but, uh, I, I do think that that's why USA sued to keep it. It was important to them. And so, and I think that the fact that our ratings are so, as I mentioned, so far above the, the network average, it helped propel them to that position of the number one cable company. And it, as a former ad salesman, as I was back in my youth, uh, selling radio in Oklahoma, uh, I, I, I think that was a big deal. I, you know, it was, it's a good pitch. 
when you're a salesman and you're and you're on the you're on the number one rated cable network, uh, it's a nice pitch. And so you wonder, well, how would that have been without WWE and WWF at the time? It, they would not have been the number one cable network. So I think it did have an impact in that regard, aside from the data that Meltzer uh, provided for the uh, the ad sales. Let's keep it moving here. We know how this is going to work out, by the way. Ultimately, you guys do leave. Uh, Meltzer would report WWF is sending S.A. Rios, D'Lo Brown, and Bob Holly to San Antonio for future TWA shows. When the TWA started, WWF was sending talent almost every week, but the talent complained about how they were treated, and it resulted in no more talent being sent. Of late, TWA crowds have picked up by the appearances of Just Incredible and Sandman from ACW. And probably the biggest crowd, roughly a thousand folks being drawn when Shawn Michaels wrestled his last match. Let me sort of connect the dots for some of our listeners who weren't paying attention back then. TWA is actually Shawn Michaels promotion, uh, with his boy, Rudy. Talk to me a little bit about your memories of, of Shawn's TWA venture. And we know that he also has a wrestling school during this time that eventually will produce Daniel Bryan. Yeah. And Lance Cade and, and, uh. I think Brian Kendrick, I think was in that group. Uh, he had a well, lot of talent. Yeah. Yeah. He, Sean was a great teacher and I, and I think that's being exploited now in uh, NXT that he's a, he's a valuable member of the coaching staff in NXT and, and rightfully so. And why not you get the guys in, that are there are in that age group, no matter where they are, uh, there, Sean Michaels had some sort of influence on them. So now when he's talking or he's coaching, the talents have no issues or shouldn't have any issues listening, just goddamn listen and try to understand and process the information he's providing you. But Sean was at, had a good school. I think, I think Jose Lothario was also involved at times. Uh, he was a Sean Michaels guy and Rudy Gonzalez, as you mentioned, another good teacher. So they did a nice job uh, teaching, but the other, the bottom line of the whole diatribe here is that it was Sean. Right. And Vince wanted us to make sure that we, uh, help Sean as best we could whenever we could. And that's why I was taking uh, sending talents down to, uh, San Antonio. I, I was a little bit surprised to read about the, they weren't treated well. I don't remember those stories. I'm sure there was something there, you know, talents can bitch about anything. And if it's again, Sean's way of running TV would not be the same as they were used to in that WWE system, which had a standard presentation formula. So that might've been it, but, uh, uh, you know, it was all about Sean. We wanted to make sure Sean was happy and doing all we could to support his efforts. And, uh, that's kind of how that all came about. It was events taking care of Sean thing. Jr. make sure you give, give him some talent. And that's what I did. Well, it's, it's fun to, to look back at Shawn Michaels, the promoter, at least for me, but let's talk about something else. I didn't remember we were going to talk about today. Meltzer would report the WWF met with NCAA heavyweight champion, Brock Lesnar again on May 11th. Lesnar has already started training with Brad Reagans in Minnesota and people are raving about his quickness in the ring for a guy of his size. Vern Gagne showed up for at least one of his workouts and Word is athletically and looks wise. He's got it, but the personality is still a question mark right now. It appears the WWF is the favorite since they've already got his assistant coach in college, Shelton Benjamin training down in Louisville where he'd be starting. And he's also interested in uh, being another member of the university of Minnesota team. 
New Japan is also in the hunt. WCW has met with him as well, but they appear to be extreme dark horses. It's amazing to me to look back and consider that WCW was at least having conversations with Brock Lesnar and new Japan. Ultimately, we know how this winds up. He becomes the next big thing with you guys, but WCW Brock Lesnar, that seems weird. Doesn't it? Yeah. It, not a, it, it doesn't seem on today's, uh, terminology, a, a, a good fit. I'm not even, I'm not sure who he met with at WCW. I assume it might've been Eric. I don't have any idea. That may be a nice question for 83 weeks. Uh, but I, I think it was a, to me, Brock got representation very early. Uh, he got a lawyer there, Minnesota based lawyer that was kind of going through things, doing the negotiations. So to me, the new Japan play, the WCW play was, uh, a negotiation tactic to get to up his money and get him the best deal he could as a rookie. And as it worked out, uh, we signed Brock. Uh, and then the other thing about this too, to me interject, we've been recruiting Brock for well over a year at this time. We started recruiting, uh, Brock, uh, his junior year in college before he won the NCAA title. I think he was a runner up and our deal with Jay Robinson, as I was sitting here on the show, cause he's one of Jerry Briscoe's former Oklahoma state wrestling teammates that we would not touch him. We would not offer him anything until his, he finished his eligibility and which that culminated with this. What you're just talking about the NCAA championship in division one as the heavyweight, the marquee position. So I think it was a negotiation process. We had already established a great relationship with him. You know, Jerry Briscoe was, uh, was real close to Brock in, in the, in those days. Uh, and so that helped us a great deal. I developed a pretty decent relationship with him as well. I negotiated his deal. I think we paid Brock $250,000, which is the highest, uh, highest paid rookie that we ever signed. And I would venture to say, I don't can't speak today, but I would venture to say it was the highest ever and has not been replicated. So, uh, we had a good handle on Brock. This is just to get him some more money and we were not going to lose him because we all knew from, you know, when Vince saw him in Minnesota that time, God damn it. He's a Viking. He's a Viking. <laughs> so well, whatever. Okay. Vince, he's a Viking. Uh, so we were going to, we were going to corral him because if we hadn't, after recruiting him for two years, we would look like Ned in the first reader, so stupid and inept. And that was not the case with our department at that time. Not to be, uh, that guy, but didn't you also give Mark Henry two fifty? I mean, he would have been the second guy getting that high of a, of a, might have, deal, yeah. Right? Might, yeah. I'm not sure Conrad that that don't sound wrong. That doesn't sound wrong. But again, they were, they were guys that we thought had uh, unlimited potential and they were definitely going to make it how, how quick of a learning curve they could navigate remain to be seen, but the basic product, the clay that you were molding was, was very, uh, 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 very, very pliable. It was, you could create something out of it. And so Mark Henry, same deal, you know. We, we love Mark Henry after we saw him dunk in the NBA all-star game at 400 pounds. So, uh, and then, by the way, both worked out, you know, Brock's a future hall of famer without question. Mark Henry's in the hall of fame. So yeah, that was a lot of money. I forgot about Mark and that from the dollar figure. You're right. That's a good, good, good catch. But Brock was the first one. He got the most money in the beginning than anybody. Cause I think I paid rock a hundred grand for his rookie deal. So, and we saw how that worked out. Yeah. 
Uh, I think you're batting uh, batting a thousand here. Let's talk about the pay per view uh, Judgment Day. Let's get into it. We got Rikishi Fatu and Too Cool picking up a win over Edge, Christian, and Kurt Angle. Nine minutes and forty six seconds against two and a quarter stars. This to me is great shit. Edge, Christian, and Angle come out and they start mocking local fans with hats and banjos and wearing the fake bad teeth. Really fun stuff. And we have seen Edge and Christian and some really hard hitting TLCs. This shows another side of what they can do. And certainly for Kurt Angle, I mean, he's a goddamn gold medal Olympian here and he's out here strumming banjos with fake teeth. The entertainment is turned up in a major way from a group of guys who aren't normally in that spot. And then it seems silly now in hindsight, but man, how over was too cool here in 2000? Really over. And it was a feel good booking always. Cause they, even with, and with Rikishi added to that, uh, that, uh, duo, they danced, they had music, they had a nice little presentation before the, you know, uh, before the match starts, people clapped their hands, they smiled. They, so in other words, the baby faces set the table for a really, uh, uh, you know, a, 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 always a positive situation upcoming. And of course, then you had, uh, edge, you, had, you know, look at edge hall of fame, Kurt angle, hall of fame, uh, Christian should be in hall of fame, in my view. Uh, and then of course, too cool, Br- Brian Christopher Lawler and, uh, Scotty too hotty, uh, were, were, they were very underrated in that particular era. So, uh, it was a good opener because it was a feel good opener that everybody could enjoy in. And you got some group participation, uh, in, in this thing as the, you know, the edge and Christian thing the bad teeth, et cetera, et cetera. And then the dancing of a big Rikishi and too cool had their little dance routine, really good opener. It set the tone for a fun night, feel good situation. And those guys always really, I can't remember them not delivering. So it was a good start for our show. With your sort of old school sensibilities, does it hit you a certain way when you see that you've got a talent like Kurt Angle playing banjo with bad teeth? No, not at all. It just showed another side of Kurt, showed his versatility. And we found out there very early on that Kurt had a great sense of humor and a great sense of comedic timing. You know, the the vignettes he had with Austin back, you know, after WrestleMania 17, uh, all those things were just, uh, were terrific. I mean, you know, he was... He had a gift for that. We didn't know he had that gift. We knew his athletic gifts. Obviously he's a gold medal winner for God's sakes in the 96 Olympics, but it didn't bother me at all. Conrad It showed uh, range that we could do a lot of things with Kurt. And, and one of those elements was the entertainment element that we really didn't know what we had when we signed him. Was he going to be, uh, a great entertainer? Uh, cause we knew he was going to be a great wrestler and, and we got the, the bonus of that deal. So it didn't bother me a bit. Let's keep it going here. Let's talk about the next match. Um, we've got Eddie Guerrero retaining the European title, beating Perry Saturn and Dean Malenko. So the former radicals now in a three-way spat here for the European title. Meltzer would say this was a very good wrestling match, but I had the weakest heat on the show. After the fact, the belief was because they had three heels, nobody was there for the fans to cheer for. The crowd doesn't know how to react to Saturn and Malenko. And they only get over with their wrestling and, um, Guerrero looked tremendous. So Meltzer sort of down on it saying that maybe this wasn't bad work. It was just bad booking. 
to have three heels here together, but he still liked the actual action. He gave it three and a quarter stars. It is sort of weird to think about talents like these, and they've only got seven minutes and 57 seconds. I mean, I get that it's a pay-per-view and you're trying to fit as much here in this three hour show as you can. What'd you think this radicals three-way for the European title? And oh yeah, China's here with, uh, with Guerrero. Yeah. Great. Another great presentation, a lot of star power, a lot of talent. Um, but the, 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 the most, uh, settleable point that you're making and that I'm agreeing with, he had three heels. So really the, the fans looking for somebody to cheer for, uh, kind of took the, the lesser of the evil, so to speak, but it was, it was, it was kind of a tepid crowd reaction simply because very simple. You had one baby face in the match and not three heels. It would have been a different presentation, but, uh, I do remember that match. And I, as I watched it back, there was some great wrestling in that thing. You know, Malenko, who's a, one of our top coaches in AEW. Uh, was just excellent. Uh, it always was Saturn underrated, but, uh, then of course, then there was Eddie who was, you know, Eddie, the original Spanish God was amazing. I like that. The original Spanish God, let's keep it going. The next match is a uh, big show and Shane McMahon. Let's give you some backstory. I guess we should say too. It's a false count anywhere match. Heading into WrestleMania, Shane had actually aligned himself with Big Show, who at the time was feuding with Rock over the finish to the Royal Rumble. Shane would interfere in their match at No Way Out in February and help Big Show win, which earns Show the number one contendership and a match with Triple H, who had uh, won the WWF title from Big Show back at Survivor Series 99. Well, for WrestleMania 2000, the match eventually grew to include both The Rock, Mick Foley, and of course, Big Show as the first wrestler eliminated from the, uh, elimination fatal four-way main event after WrestleMania show begins a brief period where he imitates other wrestlers in a comedic role. And we touched on that at backlash where he came out dressed up like Hulk Hogan and this earned him ridicule from Shane. So the two start a rivalry that leads to a match here at judgment day. Ultimately Shane gets the win at seven minutes and 12 seconds. Some pretty fantastic bumps here and, and spots and stunts including Shane doing a running dive over the top and, um, big show would say he gave the, the boss, the world's easiest slam on the ring steps, but <laughs> I'm not going to be critical of that. Uh, they do brawl to the back and then eventually, uh, folks are thrown through some steel grating and then tested Albert throw big show into the grating and bull Buchanan runs out and destroys show with a nightstick. And with showdown, Shane pushes uh, a heavy set of amplifiers onto big shows knee to do an injury angle and big show selling it big and he's caught. And then Shane, as if this weren't enough, brings out the dreaded cinder block, mm. breaks it on big shows head and scores the pin. Um, the, the, this is worth mentioning. Big show has been taken off the house shows for several weeks. He's got a torn meniscus. The plan all along was to do an injury angle to explain why he would be out. They're hopeful. He'll be back in time for the next pay-per-view in Boston and King of the ring. And I got to tell you, as silly as some of this stuff was, I was with it until the cinder block came out. And then I just sort of groaned to like, Oh no, yeah, yeah. too many gimmicks. Uh, the match, uh, all the right Shane went over for all the right reasons because show needed surgery. He was going to be leaving for a while to get his knee addressed and get that, get that fixed. Uh, and you know, you can't, I can't imagine 
the stress on joints, uh, for a guy that's that big. Right. And so you got it. You can't let him work hurt. It just isn't going to resonate. It's not good for the investment. Uh, one of your top talents. So, uh, but I thought the thing was uh, gimmick heavy, you know, and it had a cast of thousands, you know, uh, test Albert Trish, um, bull Buchanan. So it just, I thought it was uh, too much. And uh, like you, I didn't react as you did on the cinder block because I'd already become numb to the gimmicks, all the outside stuff. So they had to gimmick it up to get a match out of those two guys with a show with a bad wheel, Shane with a, 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 a skill set that was still developing. So I, I, I thought it was okay. Uh, didn't, didn't hate it. I just thought it was too gimmick heavy. And that's what happens sometimes when you get too many cooks in the kitchen, deciding on what you're going to have for supper. You just, uh, well, if, if, if one hamburger is good, let's just eat three. Right. So. I, I, so I, that it was, that's kind of how I looked at it. It was, it had a lot of star power in the match. It, we invested a lot of money in that match payoff wise because of so many people had, had earned a payday. So it was, uh, I look at it from a different perspective sometimes in that regard, but it was a very expensive match to be on the undercard of this pay-per-view. Let's, uh, talk about the magic for a minute. I know that, you know, you guys have used, um, you know, some special props and things like that. Do you want to describe the, the cinder block magic? Well, Eric Bischoff broke one over my head <laughs> once upon a time <laughs> and I got juice. Uh, I think actually, uh, who cut me? I think somebody cut me. I can't remember. I know Arn Anderson made me a blade and I, uh, maybe it's me. Maybe I cut myself. I don't remember, but nonetheless, uh, the cinder blocks are showbiz blocks. So they pretty well disintegrated upon impact. Uh, and that's kind of where I am on that. I just, it was just, it was, it was gimmicked. It was for, to protect the talent, but you know, that could have been you, without all the other stuff that would have been enough for a finish. Right. Or with, with the other stuff, you didn't need the cinder block as you mentioned, but they, uh, it was just, if one is good, let's do three. Well, they did it all here. It's, uh, it's not the most memorable Shane McMahon match, but it is fun for what it is next up though, man, you want to talk about shitting and getting, how about Chris Benoit defending his intercontinental title against Chris Jericho, two of the all-time greats, a lot of fun set up for this one. Let me give you the backstory. Uh, we've got WrestleMania 2000 where it's a three-way Jericho, Benoit, and Kurt angle facing each other in a two fall triple threat match for both angles, intercontinental and European title. Benoit wins the intercontinental title, but Jericho wins the European title. Uh, neither guy manages to pin Kurt angle. Uh, so he loses both belts without actually losing, which is a fun story. Jericho yeah. would go on to lose the European title to Eddie Guerrero the following night on raw when China would turn on uh, Jericho and join Chris Jericho and join, then, join Eddie. He's yeah. going to join She joined Eddie by the way. Uh, and then Benoit would defend the IC title against Jericho at, Big, at Backlash, where Benoit wins by DQ after Jericho uses the belt to hit Benoit. And uh, now we fast forward, and we've got a match here set up uh, where we're finally getting Jericho and Benoit for the Intercontinental title. Uh, they go 13 minutes and 27 seconds. Benoit retains, and they do uh, a deal where 
Jericho passes out from the pain in the finish. I think the most famous time we saw this was WrestleMania 13 with Brett and Austin, but this Mm -hmm. is just a phenomenal match and it feels like a forgotten one. And we haven't really talked about this before, but I watched this show back for the first time since it happened 20 years. And as I'm sort of skipping around match to match, the icon, the tile, instead of saying Chris Benoit versus Chris Jericho, it says Chris Jericho competes in a submission match. I mean, Benoit is just completely erased, but this match itself, I loved four stars. What'd you think? Well, if Benoit had been six, two, he would not have been forgotten. It was perceived by some in the company that he was a, he wasn't a, uh, long-term fit. And, uh, I totally vehemently disagreed with that. I worked very hard to sign, uh, all four of those radicals. Got them in with quick negotiations. You got to negotiate with four people. Ain't easy. You know, they're going to talk to each other about what they're getting. Uh, so you got to be, you know, logical, sensible in your negotiations. Uh, so, but I, I thought that this match was absolutely fantastic. Jericho and Benoit, two Canadian boys. Uh, they have great familiarity from their days in Calgary, uh, working for Stu Hart and, and, uh, stampede wrestling where Ed Whalen would say it's a malfunction at the junction. Uh, so I, 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 I love this match, man. They just, it was too, it was really good, but it was a wrestling match. And some people in the company, uh, didn't put a cup, didn't put a great price on a great wrestling match. They put a bigger premium on the entertainment content. Uh, and that's what the, some of these matches were judged on based on the talents, charisma, and personality. Benoit had great charisma. He was an animalistic kind of a guttural coarse charisma. And of course, Jericho, uh, has it in every phase of the game. It's just like we see him now on, on Wednesday nights on, on AEW. He, he kept reinventing and adding things and changing his game. I just thought those guys just had a, had a hell of a job, did a hell of a job and entertained the hell out of me watching it back. You mentioned, uh, you know, certain folks didn't really place high priority on in-ring matches. They were looking at more personality and entertainment. You're talking about Vince McMahon, right? Yeah. Do you think Vince ever really enjoyed a wrestling match? Like in a way that maybe, uh, a Dave Meltzer and uh, would enjoy a, a new Japan style match. Do you think he's capable of enjoying just two guys getting out there and having an athletic competition where it's just hard hitting and it's not necessarily involving it's sort of devoid of, you know, character and, and things like that. It's just athleticism. Well, he was a much more, uh, of a proponent as you outlined there of the sizzle, right. Than the stake. I think a younger Vince McMahon, when he was first getting into the broadcasting and all those things over the years had a different perspective, but Vince wanted to change the business. You know, he didn't push Hulk Hogan to the moon because Hulk Hogan was the best, uh, wrestler, fundamentally sound wrestler on the roster because he wasn't, but Hogan became obviously the biggest star on the roster. And then subsequently became the biggest star in all of wrestling. But cause Hulk always delivered a great deal of, of a sizzle. Hulk had great charisma. He identified and connected with the fans. So I think that, uh, early events, younger events probably would have appreciated the wrestling more, but remember 
Vince, the reason Vince put Hogan on top is he wanted to change the perception of the, of a, of a main event star in the WWF. So I, I think that he just, Vince had just changed it philosophically. Again, he went, he went from running the wishbone to run the spread offense. And then now he's a spread offense guy. Same thing about the wrestling. I, it's just my opinion that he Vince coveted the sizzle and the stake would kind of take care of itself, which is his opinion and he's a boss. So there you go. But bottom line is that wrestling fans today are a lot more interested in the stake than the sizzle. That is not to say that with you, you eliminate sizzle and everything's going to be okay. Cause it's not when Ric Flair was having great matches in his, uh, in his long run as the, as the NWA champion, etc. He always had bell to bell, arguably the best match on the card, right? But he also brought more sizzle with him than anybody else on the card. So there was a great, there's got to be a balance there to some degree. Flair mastered it. And, uh, but I think that, 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 that athletic ship for Vince had, had sailed as long as the guy looked good and he could move around and he didn't have two left feet, et cetera, et cetera, and could, could do the promos and all the, all the non-contact skits, uh, Vince was very happy. So I think they're looking at even Jericho. I don't know that Vince had a full confidence in Jericho. Right. Uh, again, it's that size thing, man. You know, these guys, the, 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 the theory was for Vince, I believe, I guess this is me, my supposition is that, uh, as long as the sizzles there, I'm going to be happy. And Vince didn't foresee there'd be long-term sizzle in Benoit or Jericho, which as we know, as the time went on was a mistake. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I got to say, I know that a lot of our listeners, you know, really struggle with enjoying a Chris Benoit match and man, I get it. But if you're going to watch one match from this show, besides the main event, or at least the finish to the main event, to me, this is it. This is two guys, maybe in their prime, just showing what they can do and, and telling a good story. This is tremendous. Next up though, is a little more of that sizzle. And I enjoyed this a great deal too. Road dog and X-Pac take it on the Dudleys and they actually beat the Dudleys in a double tables match, 10 minutes and 55 seconds. Uh, the Dudleys are one of my all time favorite tag teams. And in this era, I thought a tables match was the shit, man. Uh, two and three quarter stars. Uh, maybe it doesn't age as well as it could, but at the time the crowd was into this man, tables were over. Tables were over big time. They still are quite frankly, when they're not overused, uh, and Normally a table spot led to the finish, right? It's much like, uh, you know, my, my, uh, cross to bear regarding holes, like a DDT or a Canadian destroyer, not being a finish anymore by a lot of guys they are doing too much, uh, in that regard. They're, the psychology is wrong. Well, we'll have a, uh, he, I'll kick out of the DDT. That'll make me strong. Well, I'm not so sure that's a fact because uh, the DDT is a finish. And, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a exclamation point to the match. And, you know, Jake Roberts beat a lot of guys with the DDT, the, the DDT got over much like your analogy regarding the tables. So, uh, I, I just thought that we didn't overuse the tables, but the Dudleys were known for it. Uh, they, they rarely lost a tables match, but when you got four talents like road dog and X-Pac and Bubba and Devon. Uh, you know, those are matches that are easy to lay out. If you're an agent or a coach, you kind of let the guys figure out cause you got good brains there. Right. You know, you know Xbox got a great wrestling mind. Road dog is still earning a living 
because of his wrestling mind, then, uh, Devon was on the WWE. He's on that group too. He's the coach in WWE. And then above us become one of the best broadcasters, uh, around in the business. Uh, you know, his work on Sirius XM on busted open is hell, hellaciously entertaining and uh, very insightful in my, in my view. So, uh, it was, a it was a good booking. And I think that the finish was a little bit of a surprise because again, the Dudleys did not lose many table matches. No, I mean, tables matches are, are their gimmick and this is supposed to be sort of their thing. And, and when they lose one, it, uh, it stands out and they're not losing it to the new age outlaws. They're losing it to road dog and X-Pac, which is sort of a, an unusual tag team that we wouldn't see a ton of, but we did see a little bit of in this time. And I thought road dog and X-Pac worked really well together. I know that, you know, road dog probably was used to relying on uh, more power moves from a Billy gun, but man, X-Pac could be a great partner for anybody. Can he know it? Oh yeah. Yeah. No doubt. Uh, Sean Walton has got a, a tremendous, uh, acumen for pro wrestling. He has a great, great, uh, he's a lot, a lot, a lot like Scott Hall, a natural at feeling the crowd, laying out a match where, where everybody's deficiencies are sequestered someplace. They're under quarantine, shall we say? And, uh, you exploit the strengths. That's good booking. It's good wrestling. Uh, but I, I like to all the, all these guys had the ability to lay out a hell of a match as we just, as I just mentioned, because there's still a lot, some of them are still doing it all these years later, they're still doing it in some shape or form. And so I, I, uh, I enjoyed this match. And again, I thought that the finish was a little bit of a surprise and you know, wrestling fans like they're not, they're not big married to uh, predictability, especially in today's world of social media, too much information flow. There's more information out there. You can learn from uh, social media in some ways, uh, uh, quite frankly, of the history of the business, things of that nature. So it was a good, it was a good outing. And I, and, and uh, I, I was just really impressed with all four of those guys. Why do you think X-Pac is so underrated? Is it again, just based on size? I mean, I don't think I can remember this guy having very many bad matches and most of his opponents would say they had some of their best matches with him. Uh, what do you think was, um, was the thing that maybe kept him from being the next sort of Sean Michaels type star? I think, uh, Sean Waltman would tell you what I'm about to tell you. It was a matter of reliability. You know, Sean has some, had some demons to overcome and thank God he has today. He's, 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 he's great. Uh, and I, I just, I think there was a reliability thing. Can we go all the way with Sean? Well, on, on, on most nights in the ring, the answer would be an emphatic yes. But some of the other things that had preceded him and that he, that he was, uh, uh, the, the suspicions of his altered state from time to time. I think, uh, held him back a little bit, but anything that held Sean Waltman back to me was simply that, and it had nothing to do with his ability, uh, bell to bell, but you, how can you invest in a guy long-term and, and give him that major push? God damn it. We all know Conrad pushes it baby. And, uh, so he, he th I think that was the, the, the story. He's one of my, he's a great friend. I have a lot of respect for Sean Waltman. Uh, but he didn't do himself any, many favors in that portion of his young career. Yeah. It's, uh, I don't know. He's such a special talent. You go back and you watch some of this stuff and you're like, man, 
Let's get to our main event. The next match is what we started talking about at the top of the show. 16 minute Iron Man match for the world title. The Rock defending against Triple H. Shawn Michaels is the special guest referee. As a reminder, at WrestleMania, Vince McMahon turned on The Rock and helped Triple H retain his title, joining Stephanie and his son Shane in the McMahon Helmsley faction with Triple H and DX. At Backlash, with a little help from Stone Cold, The Rock would defeat Triple H. And then the next night on Raw, Triple H says he wants to take The Rock out in a 60 minute Iron Man match for the title. Shawn Michaels requests to be the special guest referee. And that leads to this match on the very first SmackDown triple H would defend the world title against the rock. And Shawn Michaels is the referee in that match as well. Shawn ends up hitting the rock with sweet chin music, which leads to triple H winning the match. So here we go. Iron man match 60 minutes long. Most would say technically it went 60 minutes and eight seconds. Uh, yeah. Uh, somebody somewhere's running time. Oh uh, yeah. That's, that's good use of your, that's good investment of your time. Four star match. According to Meltzer, really a remarkable encounter, totally different from the last time we saw one of these, uh, Iron Man matches on pay-per-view as we mentioned, the most famous one before this was WrestleMania 12. And at the end of the 60 minutes, Sean hadn't pinned Brett and Brett hadn't pinned Sean. Yep. They go into sudden death overtime. Sean wins with the super kick and, and that's it. Uh, but it winds up being one to nothing in overtime. That's not the case here. They're scoring fast and, and early. And so and we're telling a story too, about 43 minutes in, we get to a tie and it's three to three, uh, just a couple of minutes later though, it's four to three with triple H going up and then we would keep it going. Triple H would go up five to three. So now it feels like, oh man, there's no way he can play catch up. At 56 minutes, it's five to four. The rock is picking up some steam with a count out. And then eventually it gets to five and five at 58 minutes and two seconds. And as we start to tick down, man, it becomes mass interference from everyone. We're talking Shane McMahon, road dog, X-Pac, Vince, everybody's here to make sure the rock is not going to come away with a victory here when all of a sudden. The undertaker comes out and Meltzer would write undertaker came out with a biker's gimmick on a motorcycle and destroyed everyone. Taker chokeslam, Shane road dog and X-Pac and decked Vince with a potato shot. The heat was amazing <laughs> because in the countdown, the crowd always chants, And instead they were into the undertaker and ignoring the fact that the time was running out. Undertaker teases chokeslamming Stephanie when triple H attacks him. And then he chokeslams triple H. The clock had gone off as they were nowhere near getting the finish ahead of the clock. And Michaels gets back in the ring. Taker sets up the tombstone on triple H. Michaels warns him not to do it. Then he did. And the bell rang to end the match. Michaels explained to Howard Finkel that because of outside interference in the final fall, the rock had to be disqualified. So technically triple H wins the fall and the title four stars, such a tremendous finish. And this is the debut of the American badass undertaker. Nobody saw it coming. And it's crazy because you're doing commentary at the same time. The crowd's going wild. There's a huge brawl. They're playing video in the background with sound of the undertaker's return video, but nobody knows exactly what it is. And then out he comes and he has a new look and he's here kicking ass. And the place is just bananas. It's a wild scene and one I'll remember for the rest of my life. I mean, a really critical moment for the company and the character 
you saw it this time for the first time in 20 years. What'd you think? Always, uh, you, you can't as a fan, uh, as I am, you, and as you are Conrad, uh, those big pops, those crowd reactions, uh, again, hearkening back to where we are today with the empty arena stuff, uh, being very challenging for the talents to work because they didn't have, they don't have an audience to feed off of. And that audience, uh, in, in Louisville gave the talents plenty of motivation, plenty of adrenaline, which is very, very important. Uh, so I thought that was a, there was a hell of an outing. The, the, uh, I, I, the, the thing that's interesting there is that I'm not sure who laid that out. I think, uh, I'm sure triple H had a big hand in it. Uh, you know, he was very good at that and still is. Uh, but I think that, uh, they didn't have Patterson there because Pat was, I think, moving from Florida to Montreal. It was, we knew that he was not going to be there because, and the reason I bring that up is that Patterson is one of the, one of the greatest Finnish guys, arguably in the history of wrestling, uh, just to term, because he went through that territory system. You find guys that when like Patterson was in, uh, San Francisco as on top for well over a decade, well over a decade. And so he wrestled in these clubs every week or every other week. So you had to constantly make your story evolve. And Patterson was a great storyteller and, uh, the rock, the rock was a big, uh, disciple, of Patterson's, uh, uh, laying things out. He trusted him because Pat was the guy that told me about rock. And when I started meeting with rock, and we got him signed. Uh, it was just, uh, it was just a, a really, uh, a magnificent thing. The only thing that you could bitch about one theoretically was there was too much interference. Uh, and it kind of. I mentioned the a big show and Shane, the center block stuff we talked about earlier. Right. You know, it, it, it became, if I was going to do all the, in hindsight, if I was going to do all this, uh, interference around your top, uh, main, your main event and your WWE title, WWF title, uh, then, uh, I would probably have not done so much outside interference in the Shane McMahon big show match that was done to protect big show. And I think there are other ways to protect big show without having multiple run-ins and multiple interferences, knowing that later in the night, we're going to do this again, only in a little different form. We're going to, we're going to change some pieces, but we're basically going to do the same thing. We're going to have a lot of interference. And, uh, that was the odds then became too much for the baby face, the rock to overcome with Sean Michaels as the referee, knowing Sean's history with triple H and Sean's previous, uh, devious actions as a, uh, as a biased official, uh, then, uh, you know, it was, it was just a, uh, a thing where you want to put the baby face in jeopardy and protect the rock. Uh, so the rock does the honors, but it, there's plenty of outs. There's plenty, you know, not an excuse that he would use, but it, it was an excuse that Lawler and I could use. So I thought that was a pretty cool deal. And, uh, uh, I just, I like the match, quite frankly, but I like the Iron Man stuff. I like those uh, stipulations, man. I, I love to be able to tell a story. I think Lawler and I, if people go back and listen to this match, that was some of our best work. We had an hour to set the template. We had an hour to set the stage. Uh, and we, I think we explained it well. Uh, it wasn't nonstop yelling and screaming. It was a story that was kept, kept unfolding and evolving and evolving. As you pointed out earlier, Conrad on the, on the scoreboard, on the. And on the time clock, 
there was the, 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 that's where the jeopardy really came into play because all of a sudden the rock is running out of time. And then all of a sudden he ties it up. There's hope for the great one who, by the way, just celebrated a birthday here this month. And, uh, I always acknowledge that because I love the rock and he was, I said on a tweet that the rock is no steak eater. There's a story behind that in Miami at the university of Miami, they had a great training table. And a lot of guys that were, uh, not hard workers, but they just came for the meal, uh, was, uh, uh, was that, you know, uh, it was just, it was a, uh, he was, he was there. He wasn't a steak eater. He didn't show up just for the meal. He showed, he showed up for the meal, but you also found the rock in the weight room. You found him on the practice field. He worked hard just like he is now. He's ubiquitous. He's everywhere. So I always, uh, that's a little inside joke with the rock and I, you know, Cause he'd look, sometimes he would look at me with a talent that's got a boo-boo and, and won't work because they might have to do the honors and rock just look at me and say steak eater. He and I knew what it meant because yeah. that's what we had talked about that when I was recruiting him. Uh, that was just not his MO. He was a worker, hard worker. That's why he's so great. Now he's, he outworks Hollywood. He's the hardest working actor or, or, and, and, and executive in entertainment. Right. So that was just him, man. So no steak eater for the rock. Happy belated birthday to him. Uh, but nonetheless, I, I liked the match. I liked the story we told. I felt good about our work and I rarely do about my work specifically. So, uh, anyway, it's a, it was just a, it was an interesting night in that regard, but I love the storytelling. And again, as we pointed out earlier, Conrad, it doesn't happen every year, even every year, right? These Iron Man matches are seldom used because it took so much TV time and the more TV time one attraction takes, that means there's less time for others to get on TV. And so that sometimes can be per, uh, perceived as counterproductive. So I, I, I like the concept. I like the fact that it wasn't worn out, but I, I thought again, in a hindsight booking scenario, less outside interference early. And to save it for the end. Uh, so that's kind of how I, I, I perceive that situation. Let's, uh, let's also mention that, uh, as you said, Pat Patterson's not here to help lay out the match. Uh, Meltzer would say triple H was mostly responsible. So your theory was correct. He did say there was a little bit of fine tuning with Jack Lanza. Um, he also says the original plan was for the D the DQ to take place several seconds before the time limit. And have the rock have a little bit of time to attempt to come back for the traditional baby face ending where it looks like he's got him pinned, but the buzzer rings before the referee's, you know, hand can touch the mat for the third time. But technically, you know, that just isn't able to happen because of the undertaker interference and, and how well that was being received. And the guys just uh, went a little long, but it, it's hard to be upset with the finish. But, and, and even though this is a DQ, there's plenty of, of, of pinfalls and, and wins and losses and count outs and things like that in this match to where I didn't feel like I was sort of gypped at the end where sometimes people get that way where it's like, oh man, I got a main event, but there was a DQ. So I feel slighted, not the case here at all. I, I think this undertaker, you know, sort of re-debut this, um, new character, this rebirth, this has a whole new layer, not only to him, but the show. Yeah. Well, the reinvention of the undertaker was timely. You know, this is largely, uh, Mark Calloway's idea. You know, he, he was ready, uh, to cut his hair. He was ready to change his, uh, 
uh, gothic like image, the macabre and all the, you know, the, all the unique powers that the undertaker uh, possessed, et cetera, et cetera. So there was the same thing. It's the same logic Conrad that you and I've talked about here many times when a main event talent has a opportunity to contribute to their program, to their storyline, then, uh, they have skin in the game now and egocentrically and being alpha males, the last thing anybody wants to do is to be involved in a failing scenario. And uh, undertaker was, uh, he had, he, he reinvented himself and obviously by the pop that you mentioned so important, uh, that he, he, he was right on the money. It was time and the fans ate it up. They believed in the character, but now they believed in undertaker, you know, 2.0 type deal. So I thought it was a well done and I, my hats off to taker because it was his idea. I was not a big proponent of that change because, you know, I, I love the undertaker presentation as it was, he kept getting better at it and better at it. More things are done to, to embrace it and to embellish it. Uh, so I was, I was hoping that we were making the right decision and the, I got my answer in about 10 seconds when he came out in that new attire, new everything. I saw the answer clear as day. I heard the answer as well. So it was a, it was a timely move. Good move by Mark Calloway to have the instincts and the courage. Think about that deal. It's like, uh, you know, it's like an act. It's like a singer. It's like the Eagles come out on a tour. I saw them not too long ago in Dallas, uh, a few months ago. And if they didn't sing hotel, California, I'd have left pissed off. Right. I, I didn't get the same music that I'm used to hearing from them. And, uh, but Taker was bold enough to change his character, to change his presentation, to change his look, the whole nine yards. Plus the fact he started doing more promos in a more traditional sense other than the, uh, soundbite, you know, scary, spooky type promo. So, uh, good move by Mark Calloway and the crowd absolutely ate it up. And again, it don't hurt when there's about 17,000 people in the stands. No, it doesn't hurt. Uh, such a remarkable finish. Go out of your way to see this. By the way, the readers of the Wrestling Observer gave this show 87.1% thumbs up, only 5.1% thumbs down, and 7.8% thumbs in the middle, but overwhelmingly thumbs up. Only two matches get votes for the best match. Uh, Hunter and Rock win. Uh, Chris Benoit and Chris Jericho are second. Again, even though I started the show by saying I didn't like Iron Man matches, I think this might be the best one. Uh, it, it's one of the most memorable rock triple H matches ever. Of course they had a legendary feud in 98, uh, but here in 2000, especially with the, the added garnish of the American badass, just tremendous. I, I can't say how much I love this show enough just for the, the Benoit Jericho match. And then just the finish to the main event was just remarkable. Yeah. And you know, we had, we had Mark had new Mark Calloway undertaker had new music. Everything. everything was, everything was just redone. You know, the mansion got a remodel and it was more it made more contemporary. So shall we say, uh, but I'm with you. The, it, it worked out real well. And some, some old school guys, uh, would say, well, it took away from the main event, the finish of the main event and, and took the heat away from triple H. I can see an argument being made for that, but I don't agree with it. Uh, I thought it was a very much added element 
that we had, we ended up with a, on a high note with that main event, uh, the guys worked their ass off. They told an amazing story for one hour and eight seconds. But the issue is that, uh, I, I just didn't see that. I thought it added, added the old proverbial cherry on the Sunday scenario or JR's barbecue sauce in those ribs. It added something extra that tasted good. That felt good. It was timely. It just worked, Conrad. It just worked. So that theory of, well, it took away from the main event. I think it's bullshit. Uh, I, I, I loved what we did. And, and the other thing about this, and you tell me your thoughts on it. Cause you just watched it again. The, the, uh, uh, it seemed to me like that the, the crowd, uh, we went off the air with a high note. Absolutely. We went off the air with great exaltation. Uh, with, with what's going to happen next. I can't believe the undertaker doesn't look the same. Uh, where's the gong? Where's the, where's the, um, mysterious stuff going on. It was just, uh, perfect in that respect. So going off the air on a high note, as opposed to a heel triple H defeating the great hero, the rock, uh, was, uh, uh, that would have been a little bit of a downer in the eyes of some. I, I get that going off the air with that. So adding the taker to that scenario was absolutely perfect. Really, really remarkable. I just absolutely love the finish to this show. Can't put it over enough. Can't recommend it enough. And I, I gotta say too, before we wrap this show up and, and talk very briefly about the next night, uh, Meltzer absolutely loved the job you and Jerry did. He says, Ross and Lawler should also be given a lot of kudos for their work in calling the match as they talk strategy and kept things interesting during the slow periods of the match. And when the crowd heat was done talking about strategy. So the match never really seemed to drag, which can't be said for the WrestleMania appearance. What was also interesting is that in laying out this match, triple H had a lot of spots that made him the baby face. So. I, I think it's cool that he notes how much your commentary really added to it because, and I think sometimes commentary is sort of, um, I don't know. It doesn't seem like it's a major priority at different times. It feels like we've seen guys just pushed out there. Oh, well just let so-and-so do it. But man, you and, and, and Lawler really hit all the notes just right this night. I appreciate that. And I appreciate what Meltzer said about it too, because it wasn't always that way. Sometimes we have better nights than others. But we were clicking that night. And I think if you talk about storytelling and how to, uh, how how a broadcast team of two guys, uh, were able to convey the message that the talents were, were uh, presenting us, uh, is extremely important. Uh, bad announcing can really affect a presentation because you hear something that doesn't jive. You hear something that doesn't to resonate as far as urgency, immediacy, uh, and, and those things you, you just don't. And I think it takes away from the hard work the talents are doing. And so I think that uh, I'm glad that we were able to contribute, but you know, I had a great emotional investment, in both those guys, I signed triple H his, his biggest contract ever. That was in, we did that deal. As I mentioned before in Louisville, not Louisville, but Evansville, sorry, same territory, uh, setting on an anvil case. And he got his big guarantee and, uh, you know, he, he rose at that day on that point in time, it was validated that he was coveted by us and that he was a long-term investment that we knew was going to pay off. And he deserved the, uh, the right to make the same downside guarantee as a rock or as an Austin or any of those guys. 
So uh, I remember that very, very well. But I had a, my point was I had an emotional investment in both guys. You know, I signed The Rock. Uh, one of our, you know, we're lucky there. One of our greatest signings ever, ever, and uh, never disappointed. So uh, I, 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 I had that investment that I needed to have to tell the story that we told, especially when it lasted one hour. You can't just show up for work. I'm an announcer. It's another match. It's the last, it's only the difference. It's the last match of the night. That's total horseshit, total horseshit. So you, you, you the bad storytelling can, can adversely affect the presentation because it takes you out of the mood sometimes to hear something ridiculous. Right. Or, or, or more importantly, we've heard, I, I thought, you know, we've heard it even at, at, at big events. Of course it's tough. We're doing an empty arena thing, but sometimes the announcers lose their intensity. In, the, in this environment that we're, we're, we're working through today. But, uh, those guys are just two of my favorite guys to call matches for, uh, and two guys I had great respect and still do for. So it was a, it was a fun night and I, I'm glad that Melcher uh, was listening and that he thought the same as, as, as he, as he wrote. And uh, so it was cool. Really cool. It's also worth mentioning, you know, the formula at WrestleMania is let's get four big stars in the main event. Let's not have Austin involved or undertaker. And at the time, I think a lot of people were like, oh man, but then the next month, man, Packlash is a hell of a finish because of the return of Steve Austin and people just raved when we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, man, imagine if that was the end of, um, of WrestleMania. And have you ever heard a pop as big as that? It's one of the biggest pops in history and blah, blah, blah. Fast forward just one month later, and man, they've made judgment day huge all because of the undertaker. So two follow-ups to WrestleMania that instead of them being sort of throwaway pay-per-views are very memorable. And it's all hinging on the return of Steve Austin and the return of the undertaker and the reinvention of the undertaker. And that will continue the next night after judgment day Vince comes out on raw at the, uh, Conseco field house in Indianapolis. It's of course, another sellout 13,000 and change nearly 380 grand as a gate, not for a pay-per-view, but for just random ass raw. And, uh, Vince is out saying the undertaker's not here. He's not under contract. And we've got marshals guarding the entrances to keep him out. Of course, during the main event, here comes the undertaker on his bike, but it's a, it's a new lease on life for the undertaker character. Obviously it was a calculated risk, but a gamble that paid off. I absolutely love this show. Can't recommend it enough. And I'm excited. We got to talk about it. Any other news or notes you want to put on this one before we wrap it up? No, I think we've done a good job of going through the event. It was not a, it, this look, go, going back and look at the, the roster, which I've always, I, I go to because I was directly involved in, uh, helping to build that roster um, among other many talented people. Uh, uh, I just look at that, looking up and down the, uh, card, boy, we had some good talent. Golly. I mean, you got, you, this, for example, the first match we talked about. Look at the hall of fame talent in that match, right? Rikishi, the Dudleys, you know, heck hall of famers, Kurt angle, hall of famer, edge hall of famer. The only person in that match is not a hall of famer. And it's not it's just simply because he hadn't got there yet. Because I think, uh, Jay Resso Christian has earned that opportunity and that right. And that honor, uh, boy, those star studded the first match. So, uh, I look back at that roster and. That's what really gives me my uh, satisfaction uh, on these on some of these shows. Is going back and looking at the talents 
that we had on our team and how well they performed, even though, I mean, here's the thing. You, you, you have to be motivated. These guys know they're going on first. So that's an important role in a pay-per-view. I've always said that, that the first match of a pay-per-view is essential to be good. There's no guarantee it's going to be great, but if you got a chance for it to be great and you know, it's going to be good, that's great placement. So that, that's what I look back, back on this card. And, and, uh, again, the, the size of the crowd that, uh, that arena was famous for Louisville basketball, you know, where they had plenty of sellouts there over the years, but, uh, for us to go in there and, and do that big business was, uh, really cool. So it was, uh, it was, a, it just shows you that there's nothing more important in pro wrestling than the talent. And we had talent and you look at all these matches. We had great talents in every single match, but they all had different roles, uh, because of the positioning on the card. And I thought it was just a, a fun show to watch. I really, I'm glad I went back and watched it. Uh, the undertaker business, if you want to get chills folks, and you haven't got chills in a while on a pro wrestling show, this is one that you can go back and get lost in. That one hour match is amazing and, uh, it, you can get lost in it. And I think that's what they did. So, uh, I'm glad we did this show, Conrad, a good booking for you. That's why you're the goddamn podfather. <laughs> well, I'm going <laughs> to hope to keep the streak alive next week. We're doing something we haven't done in a little while. We're going to do a watch along and it's going to be the May 23rd, 2005 raw. It happened in green Bay, Wisconsin. In theory, it doesn't seem like a very special show. It's not after a pay-per-view or right before one, uh, but it is pretty remarkable because we see something that we never thought we would see. We see Vince McMahon, Paul Heyman, and Eric Bischoff all in the ring at the same time. And there's a lot of quote unquote shoot comments being thrown around. And just a few years prior to this, people would have thought, boy, that'll never happen. The three big power brokers in wrestling, but here they are. Uh, and there's some pretty other interesting stuff here, uh, on the show that we'll talk about, but that segment in particular, I think, uh, blew a lot of fans socks off and you and I get to revisit it right around the, uh, 15 year anniversary. What do you remember about those three guys being in the ring together and, and really going after each other on the mic? I was just worried that the good Lord might have lightning strike <laughs> <laughs> and, and, uh, and, uh, fry their testicles. Uh, those evil people, uh, I, it was again, new, fresh, different. They, you knew who the players were, uh, and you knew that this was a highly unusual scenario. Uh, could, how the hell did this happen? Right. It's what I was wondering, but, uh, I, I liked, uh, you got, you got three great talkers. You got three great antagonists in the ring at the same time all with major egos as we all have. And, uh, it, it just was a really unique feeling. And I think the audience saw a little bit of history that night. So we'll, uh, we've only done one, uh, uh, watch along, right? You and I, yeah, we've only uh, maybe, maybe two, but not a lot for sure. One or two, let's say. Yeah. So I, it's another, it's another fresh deal. It's another fresh presentation for grilling JR next week. So I'm, I'm pumped up about it and I'm, I'm looking forward to doing it. I, again, to go back and watch a, 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 an isolated raw hell Conrad, I haven't even seen that show yet. I haven't seen that show since I sat there and broadcast it. Mm. So it'll be a fun, uh, fun scenario to say the very least. 
Well, let's talk about uh, what else we've got coming up. That's next week here on the show. But before we get to next week's grilling JR, man, you've, uh, you've got a full dance card. You, you've been back in the saddle in Jacksonville doing uh, TV for a few weeks. And this weekend, AEW is bringing us another pay-per-view double or nothing. This was, uh, your first call. What? Gosh, uh, a year ago. And now, and now you're back in the saddle on the one year anniversary. Unfortunately, we won't be at MGM grand and, and that would have been a packed house and what an environment it was last year, but the world has changed. But the thing that's remained constant, AEW is going to deliver a big show this weekend. Are they not? Yeah, they sure are. We're going to work our ass off to make that great. Uh, I think it'll be a terrific wrestling show. There'll be some sizzle, but I think the sizzle and the steak will be, uh, very balanced. So, uh, a lot of guys, you know, making their first, uh, role in the on a, on a AEW pay-per-view, you know, Lance Archer, he's on a meteoric rise to the top and he and Cody will have a show stealing level match. No doubt about that. So then, you know, all, all the, I know the guys are excited about it. I think the layoff, you know, golly, before I went back, uh, earlier this month, I've been off seven weeks. Dang. I, I, I was, I'm, I still can't believe I endured the quarantine for seven weeks without doing wrestling. So, uh, I think it'll be fun. I think it's going to be a really good show that we're all going to be motivated to deliver the very, very best value for your pay-per-view dollar that we possibly can. So for those that are, are, uh, listening, I hope that you'll give us a chance on Saturday night, enjoy the pay-per-view because I truly believe, and of course I'm biased. I'm, I work for AEW. I get all that folks, but I'm not going to bullshit you. It's a hell of a card. It really is a hell of a card and it's a card that could have several matches be the show closure in, in theory, uh, that, that they're that good. So I'm, uh, I'm excited about that, uh, scenario and, you know, I'm staying a lot of, spend a lot of time in Jacksonville. There's a lot worse places to spend your extended uh, time than Jacksonville, Florida. Let me tell you, especially uh, on the beach, but let's talk about the pay-per-view <laughs> again for a minute, because. I do feel like, you know, people have gotten maybe a little too caught up in this WWE versus AEW war. So many people going into WrestleMania said, oh, this is the worst WrestleMania ever. Nobody was saying that when it was over, it was a great show. And it was more importantly, a, a much needed distraction. Now in a, in a traditional sense, was it the greatest WrestleMania ever? Probably not, but good Lord, we needed something different and we got it. And that's what we're getting this weekend with AEW. I. Yes, it will be a little different, blah, blah, blah. I don't care. I'm excited, man. I think this is going to be a fun distraction of something fun to look forward to. And, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to wear it out this weekend. I'm looking forward to it. And thank you guys for the entertainment you're bringing us. Yeah, you bet, man. I appreciate that. We hope everybody will have that attitude. We need new, we need fresh. We need a live sporting event. We're going to deliver that on Saturday night. Bottom line. That's where we are. So. Uh, I give us a shot folks. And I, I really believe we're not going to disappoint you. Well, nobody's been disappointed in your new book. You know, I, I was on here for months saying it's the best wrestling book I've ever read. And I think everybody will agree. It's at least in their top three up there with Brett and Foley and the reviews are in everybody saying the same thing. But what I'm getting a kick out of Jr. is over at jrsbbq.com. You can not only get the book, but you can get it autographed and personalized. And man, when people have been posting pictures of their books, they're asking you to write some pretty outrageous shit in these books. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I've only had to turn down, uh, one request and it was just off it was just totally distasteful. And it was a shot at Vince and I didn't, 
feel that was appropriate or classy or necessary. And then we, we, we emailed the guy back and now he's uh, miffed that he can't get that. So he, he wants his money back. We were very happy to refund his money. I'm not going to put something on paper of my handwriting that's embarrassing or classless. And, uh, that's all somebody was just trolling for, uh, so cause here's what they would have done. The same thing. Many others would have done. Sure. They take a fit. They take a picture of the autograph and they put it on social media. Uh, you know, ha ha ha, you know, L O L O M G. What the fuck? <laughs> Do we not have words anymore? My daughter said that the other day, they sent me something and one had a LOL and another one had an OMG and I scolded them. Do we not talk anymore? We don't here. We're texting and we're using code to text in. It's like the Navajo code breakers. What the hell? Well, I got to learn a whole new language to communicate with my children for God's sake. OMG L O L or, or, you know, all that horse shit. So anyhow, hypothetically, uh, would you sign a book? Um, here's your goddamn push. I did. I have. <laughs> there's a, hey, there's a lot of pushes in there. Uh, quite frankly, <laughs> the push has gotten over for whatever crazy, insane reason. Uh, and, but you know, it's just, it's a term now. It's something that's more, uh, front of mind awareness as far as our fans are concerned and, and we're concerned because it's a part of the whole process. So, uh, yeah, I've signed some push books and you know, you're a, you're a slobber knocker or you're tougher than a pet coon or. $2 steak or whatever the hell, you know, so all those crazy things, but yeah, they're, it's fun. And you give the, uh, you give your consumer the ability to get something written that they chose that means something to them. Uh, I've done a lot of birthday books, anniversary books. I've gotten books where, uh, wives are buying these books for their husband, uh, for us, for a gift. Uh, you know, father's day will be coming up in June. They're not the goddamn virus ain't going to cancel father's day. Like it did the little league world series for God's sakes. So there's a lot of different, uh, uh, scenarios there, but they're all fun. It's communicating in a personal way with the fan base. And as long as some of us can maintain that, that, that attitude, our business is going to stay healthy because there's nothing more important. We talked about the talent. Next thing's important. Obviously, maybe even more important. I don't, hell, I don't know. It's, it's arguable is the fans. Cause they pay the freight, they pay the bill, they buy the tickets when there's tickets to be sold. So, and I also like the fact that AEW is not going crazy on this Florida thing where, you know, you're going to, uh, 25% capacity and then 50% capacity and they're all, oh, that's a guess, man. It's a goddamn guess. And I don't, you know, at my age, I, I don't like these guesses on this coronavirus situation, you know, uh, to get on an airplane for me. How stupid did I look flying to flying to Atlanta and jumping in the car with Shivani and going to Jacksonville? I got blue gloves on that my doctor gave me and I got a mask on and a black hat. Yeah. I don't look different. <laughs> you know, I don't know what the hell I look like. I'm going to rob the ATM machine or something, but nonetheless, it's for my own safety. But, uh, I, I, I like the fact that we're still doing, we're still being cautious. You know, when we were, when I arrived in Jacksonville, Conrad, Earlier this month, Shivani and I went straight to the hotel, got blood drawn to do our, our test or our virus test. And that was for everybody that was going to be on site crew, talent, everybody. So, uh, it was, uh, it, it, it was, uh, you know, it was all the precautions have been taken. So, uh, we're jacked up. We're ready to go. We're healthy. We're going to have a fun show on Saturday night. 
should be a lot of, should be a blast. I can't wait. I just really, really can't wait. I'm so excited to do a pay-per-view, no commercial breaks. You know, the drill, you just, you get in your groove, man. You, you get the rolling. And, uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm excited about that and pumped up about that. And I appreciate you mentioning JR's BBQ.com. We're selling a lot of barbecue sauce. It's grilling season. You know, we, we do our best to get the orders out within 24 or 48 hours of, after receiving it. Uh, so it's a, this whole thing has been a labor of love and our, and our website's growing exponentially, which I'm very grateful for. So thank you guys for supporting us there. And thank you, Conrad, for mentioning it here on our show. Well, and I want to thank you for being such a good sport because we've cranked out so much extra content for adfreeshows.com. Uh, for instance, a lot of our listeners are hearing these shows early and ad free, and you would have too had you signed up over at adfreeshows.com. But our bonus episode this month in May, which is going to be a couple days from now, is uh, an episode of Mid South from May 26, 1984. The Midnight Express versus the Rock and Roll Express. How much fun are me and you going to have watching that together? It's going to be awesome, man. Arguably two of the very great, greatest tag teams ever in pro wrestling. I think if somebody's, you know, the, one of the most debatable things that I, I, I have fun with on social media, because there's no right answer and it always causes some controversy, discussion, uh, involvement. Uh, uh, is, uh, the, these top, you know, Mount Rushmore's and all these things, there's no wrong answer to any Mount Rushmore and there's no right answer to any Mount Rushmore, except that's your opinion. And you ha- everybody has a right to the opinion. Uh, but I, I, I just think that, you know, we're, uh, when you talk about the greatest tag teams for me, if I did the top five tag teams, I'm not sure how all the five would be, but I can assure you that uh, Jim Cornette's Midnight Express and Ricky and Robert, the Rock and Roll Express, would always be on any tag, greatest tag teams I ever saw list that I would ever create. So we got this match, and man, they were young, they were vibrant, they were they were just at their athletic peak. It was just awesome, man. So uh, I can't wait to see that uh, to see that again because you think we talk about not seeing something, you know. Uh, you know, I'm going to try to, I don't know if I can even find that. I guess it's doing the WWE network, right? Yeah. I've got a link for you and and, we're, and everybody can watch along with us and to, to hear you sort of become not just, you know, the wrestling genius that we know you are and not office and, but you were a fan of what they were doing first and foremost. And this is, this is going to hit you right in the feels. Is it not? Yeah, man. Absolutely. I'm a, I, I, I that's, that's got me very excited. Cause that's really where my, my career launched and Bill Watts had the confidence in me, Bill Watts. I replaced the cowboy, you know, he was doing the play by play basically. And, and Boyd Pierce was it, Boyd Pierce's role was hello, everybody. And welcome to mid South wrestling. And here's cowboy Bill Watts. And at the end of the night, he would say, thanks for joining us on mid South wrestling for cowboy Bill Watts. I'm Boyd Pierce. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> that was, that was Boyd, lovely guy, but cowboy let me sit in his chair because he thought I was ready. And luckily enough, I didn't, uh, do do the bed and, uh, everything worked out pretty good, but, oh man, this is a, this is a, a dream show for me. And I hope that everybody will, uh, watch it. And I understand this too, Conrad, and we both have to realize the demographics that we have we appeal to here. Now we have a very strong 18 to 49 year old demographic. 
uh, young, a lot, a lot of males and, and females, but that age group seems to be a, one of our, our key demos. You may have to do a little research, but these, the names we're going to tell you about were kind of like before they were stars in some, in some instances, but, uh, the midnight and rock and roll were stars, you know, uh, cowboy put the midnight express together after going to, to Memphis and making a talent trade with Jarrett and Lawler, uh, just great stuff, man. I'm, I'm so excited about that. And it's hard to get an old man like me excited about something like that again, but I, I, I'm very excited about the fact we're going to be able to do this great booking again on your part. And I can't wait to do it. Check it out. It's at adfreeshows.com. Don't forget to pick up uh, JR's new book under the black hat, jrsbbq.com. And for goodness sake, join the rest of the wrestling world and watch AEW's pay-per-view this weekend, double or nothing. It's the distraction we all need. And, uh, don't forget to check out JR next Wednesday and every Wednesday on dynamite every Wednesday on TNT, 8 PM Eastern, 7 PM central. Uh, we're having a lot of fun here. Hope you guys are too. Give us a follow on Twitter. He's at JR's BBQ. I am at, Hey, Hey, it's Conrad. Our show is at JR grilling and we are out of time. We'll see you next week right here for a raw is war watch along only on Westwood one. Of course it's grilling JR. With the voice of wrestling, Mr. Jim Ross. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.